Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome back to Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for the kind reviews um, and the hunger of all the listeners has just been amazing to witness. And I'm so thankful to be on this journey with each of you. Last last week was our longest episode, o- over an hour. We talked about Jacob's struggle, and that was part one. And so we're going to be getting into part two today. And and I heard that so many were blessed uh, by that word. And um, if I would have continued, it'd have probably been. Uh, a two-hour episode, so I just wanted to save y'all uh, some time on that and just break it up into part two. Going to this concept of Jacob, brief review, uh, we have to talk about how human Jacob was. Uh, I love this about the Bible, as I mentioned before, how it highlights the humanity of its prominent figures and its prominent heroes. Adam and Eve were the first, they messed up. Cain and Abel were the first sacrifices we witnessed, Cain messes up. Noah messes up. In the book of Genesis, chapter 6 through 9, Noah gets drunk, messes up. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, messing up. Genesis 12, with Abraham and his perception of his promise. Genesis 12 through 25, the life of Abraham. You see Abraham lie to Abimelech. You see Abraham lie to Pharaoh. You see Abraham have a child with Hagar. And this is unbelievable because we see the faithfulness of God while someone is striving to walk with God. And we've talked about Abraham a few times, and we're leading up to Jacob right now, but the the life of Abraham and him walking with God and how that was passed to Isaac and how that was passed to Jacob, the principle and the priority to walk with God. Abraham, while he's messing up, God's still giving him unconditional covenants. It's what they call the Abrahamic covenant where the Bible says that there came a time whenever Abram made a sacrifice where he split the animals in two and stretched it on both sides, the right and the left, caused an open area in the middle. And the Bible says that God walked through those divided carcasses and issued a covenant to him. Now, The ancient Near Eastern custom was that when two people were going to make a covenant, they would split up these animals in half, put them on the right and the left, and together, these two that were forming the covenant, they would walk through this path together, and what they're declaring together is, is that whoever breaks this covenant that we're making Let this happen to them. Let me being divided in two if I break the covenant. That was the custom. And both of the those that are doing the covenant together, they would walk through it. But this is interesting with Abraham because God does not allow Abraham to walk through this path of this divided carcasses. God by himself walks through the divided carcasses saying that let this happen to me if I don't fulfill my word in your life. 
And Abram wasn't even a part of the walk. God walked through it himself, showing that the covenant that he gave Abraham is unconditional, and God put the entire weight of the covenant and it coming to pass on his own shoulders. And that is powerful because it's a type and shadow of Jesus Christ whenever he took the full weight of our sins upon his shoulders, that that man had nothing to do with it, that we cannot purchase salvation with our good works or our prayers or our fasting or our study. But Jesus put the entire weight of our salvation upon his shoulders in an unconditional covenant uh, that is reflected in the life of Abraham in the walk. And so we talked last week about Isaac carrying that covenant with him and the fear of Isaac and that consistency. And then now we get to Jacob. Abraham messes up over and over. Isaac, he lies to Abimelech as well. There's friction with Abimelech. And I love this. It's in Genesis 26 because there's friction with Abimelech. There's a famine, and God tells Isaac, don't go down to Egypt during this famine. He said, dwell in Gerar among Abimelech and his people. It's the Philistines. And he dwells in Gerar, and God blesses Isaac so much that the Bible says that Isaac began to redig the wells of his father because the Bible says that the Philistines, that they had clogged those wells. Now, this is a type of warfare because anytime you're wanting to destroy a tribe or a family, the warfare is to stop the flow, clog those wells. And so it was actually a warfare move to actually destroy the wells of Abraham because it's to destroy the wells of his family. It's to stifle the legacy of Abraham. So God wanted Isaac to dwell here because what God wanted to see is, Isaac, will you fight for what your father died for? I want to see if you're willing to fight for what your father died for. And the Philistines assumed that Isaac would not see the value of the wells of his father. They assume that we can dig, we can cover these wells, because the Bible says they didn't cover the wells till Abraham died. So they assume that Isaac would not see the reverence and the value of these wells. They assume that the next generation wouldn't see the value of these wells. And so they stopped them. But the Bible says that Isaac was willing to fight for what his father died for. And he redug the wells and he called those wells the same name that his father called them. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful story. We, we see some weakness in Isaac with, you know, him being deceived by uh, Jacob and his love for Esau. Uh, because of his venison. And so that that love for that venison caused the blindness to see that Esau was in no condition to receive the blessing because his walk didn't match the blessing. Uh, he didn't have a real desire for, for the birthright. He didn't value it. Uh, he sold it away for uh, a pot of bean, uh, beans and lentils. So we talked about last week Jacob and his walk in this process from Genesis 28 to Genesis 35. And so I'm just giving a brief review and getting into some some details of kind of some things that we discussed last week and a little bit of a little bit of backdrop of uh what God is doing in Jacob's walk. So Jacob has this walk and now he comes the moment that he wrestles with the angel. The angel says, no more shall your name be called Jacob, but it's going to be Israel. And in a moment, there is a change that occurs. God recognizes his name change in Genesis 35. He says, your name is Jacob, but no more shall your name be called Jacob, but it's going to be Israel. And we see that after Jacob reconciled with his brother, 
after Jacob built an altar, after Jacob went through a series of brokenness, after Jacob put away the strange gods, God recognized his new name, Israel. And what a powerful birth of a nation, Israel. Israel still exists today. And the blessing of God is on them because of Jacob's willingness to prevail and, and to go after God and pursue God. And so Israel is, is, is known by this experience. Something transformed in Jacob's walk. But what is powerful about Jacob's struggle is God's perception of his struggle. Because in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, he would speak to Moses out of the burning bush about to prepare Moses for the task of going back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter, chapter 3, verse 6, when he speaks to Moses, here are his first words. He, he tells Moses, he says in verse 6, I am the God of thy father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. This is God's introduction to Moses out of a burning bush. And God speaks to him and declares his background and his reputation and says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, this is an issue because we just saw in Genesis 35 where God said, no more shall your name be called Jacob, but it's going to be Israel. And everyone knows Israel by, by that blessing, by that birthplace of a name at the Ford Jabbok, the river Jabbok. And I preached a message about how you will never become Israel until you are sick of being Jacob and how the Ford Jabbok, that river it was a transition point and that you will never transition into what you are destined to be until you become sick of what you are. And we know that is a transformative moment in the life of Jacob, Israel. It's all about Israel. It's all about the people of Israel. I'm going to inhabit the praises of Israel. It's all about Israel. It's the nation of Israel that exists. But God's introduction to Moses was he says, listen, here's where I have credibility. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He didn't say the God of Israel here. Hold on. God said, no more shall your name be called Jacob. But God says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He didn't say the God of Israel. Now, that's powerful because he doesn't say that he's the God of of Abram. He says that he's the God of Abraham. He says, I am the God of Abram's ideal state. You guys got to catch this. This is, this is, this is profound to me. I'm the God, not of Abram. I'm the God of Abraham. I am the God of Abram's ideal state, Abraham. He says, I'm the God of Isaac. But then he says, I am the God of Jacob. He didn't say I'm the God of Israel. You see, Israel was Jacob's ideal state, his destiny, what he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to become. But God said, you know what? I am the God of Abraham, Abram's ideal state, but I want you to understand, Moses, that I will always be the God of Jacob. That I am the God of his process. I am the God of everything that's wrong with him. I am the God of his failures. And you cannot appreciate me being the God of Israel until you first understand I will always be the God of Jacob. I am the God of everything that's wrong with him. Oh my, I'm going to minister to somebody in this episode. And he said, until you learn to embrace me, 
being the God of Jacob, you'll never understand me being the God of Israel. I am the God of his process. I am the God of his struggle. I am the God of what's wrong with him. And until you understand that I am the God of his process, while he's developing, while he's walking, while he's stumbling, while he's failing, while he's lying, while he's deceiving, while he's doing all of this, if you don't understand that I'm his God right there, you'll never understand me being the God of Israel, his destined place. I'm the God of the process. I'm the God of what's wrong. You see, some people think that God didn't become Jacob's God until he became Israel. But God is reminding us, no, 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 no. Before he ever got to that moment of transformation, I was his God. I was the God of the journey. I, I, I want to encourage somebody listening right now that God is the God of your journey. He's the God of the struggle. That while you're struggling to overcome, while you're struggling to, to, to become what God has called you to be. And, and you, you say to yourself, I, I don't want to pray because I'm not Israel yet. I, I don't want to worship because I'm not Israel yet. I, I don't want to praise him because I'm not Israel yet. And you hide your face to God because you are ashamed of your struggles and you're ashamed of your failures and you're ashamed of your journey and you're ashamed of the many times that you have fallen, that you have fallen short. But he said, don't you understand that I am just as much your God in your struggle as I am the God of your success. And look what God says, I am proud to be the God of Jacob. He said, I'm proud to be the God of your struggle. I'm proud to be the God of your failures. I'm proud to be the God of your journey, just as much as I am proud to be the God of your destination. And some people are afraid to embrace God in their Jacob moments. Whew. They don't understand God's love in those Jacob moments because you are waiting to become Israel and you're not Israel yet. And so you don't feel like he's your God yet. But what God wanted to tell Moses is that I am still the God of Jacob. After the process, after everything that he's went through, I, he loves being the God of the process. God said, I'm the God of everything wrong with him because God says, what I loved about Jacob is that even though he wasn't perfect, he still pursued me. He still came after me. He failed. He failed many times, but he always got up and went after me. And I'm telling someone listening right now that God is proud to be your God. He's still the God of Jacob the journey while you're still learning how to pray, while you're still learning how to read your Bible, while you're still learning how to walk in your calling, just all of those infant stage and baby steps, God says, man, I'm the God of Jacob. And you cannot understand me being the God of Israel until you understand that I will always be the God of Jacob. In the book of Psalms, it says, sing praises, to the God of Jacob. And everyone says it when you hear it. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They never say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. They never say that. He always says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because God never wants us to forget that he's the God of process. Whew. That he is the God of process. Mm. I feel God talking to somebody uh, that's listening right now, that he wants to walk with you through this process. Stop being ashamed of your process. Stop being ashamed of your process. Anything great always started in a process. Anything powerful started in a process that seemed insignificant in the beginning, but it developed. Amazon started in a garage. Wow, what a process. Apple started in a garage. Wow. What a process. And, and it's amazing what those things became. But you may be in that garage experience right now with your business, with your life, with your ministry. 
And he's just as much your God right now in that garage as he is whenever you reach that place of success. You can't understand him being the God of your success until you accept him as the God of your failures, that he's willing to minister to you and be there with you in your failure. That's what the Holy Ghost is. The Greek word is periklite, which literally means the divine presence coming alongside to help you. When you fail, God doesn't stand above you and look down and says, what's wrong with you? Come on up here. Get up. What's the matter? What's the wrong with you? No, no, no. God comes into your failure. He comes into your mess and links up alongside you and says, we're going to overcome this together. I'm going to walk you through this experience. I'm going to walk you out of this pain. I'm going to walk you out of this failure because don't you ever forget, I'm still the God of Jacob. He's the God of the process. And I love that and God had to reveal himself to Moses with those words because he mentions Abraham. All of a sudden, M- Moses is nervous. Moses is scared because that's the ideal state. He's the God of Isaac. Ah, he's still intimidated. But when he hears Jacob, something rises up in his heart and he says, ah, there's hope for me because if God can use Jacob, he can use me. And if God can use Jacob in all of his imperfections, then even though I stutter, even though I killed an Egyptian 40 years ago, even though I stepped out of the timing of God and did something I wasn't supposed to do, do, even though I'm frail, but you mentioned Jacob. And if you did something in Jacob, I believe you can do something in me. God is still the God of Jacob. He's the God of process. We have to stop running from process. That's what the walk is all about. It's about developing in the process. The calling of God it's and the promise of God is like, the promise of God is like at the top of a mountain. You're at the bottom of the mountain and you're discouraged to start the journey toward the promise because you have a whole lot of baggage at the bottom of this mountain. And so you say, I don't want to start the journey. Look how much baggage I have. But if you will start pursuing the calling, pursuing the promise with the current baggage that you have, as you ascend that mountain, you're going to come up to a place where you say, I cannot take another step forward until I let go of some of this baggage that all of a sudden you let go of a little bit more baggage and you start that journey up the mountain toward the calling, toward the promise again. And then you reach another place on your journey that you say, man, I can't go forward unless I let go of some of this baggage. You let go of more of the baggage. You keep on walking. You keep on walking. You keep on. You see, what happens is the promise challenges the baggage. The calling challenges the baggage. And what happens is, is that the call will sanctify you in your pursuit of it. The promise will sanctify you in your pursuit of it. If you never have a promise to go after, you have no reason to let go of the baggage. But when you see something in your mind that you are trying to accomplish, that you are trying to get to in God, it challenges you. If you want to come here, let go of this baggage. It's the process and it is a beautiful journey. It is a a beautiful journey. It is a beautiful journey. Uh, mountaintop experience. You can't, You don't appreciate the mountain unless you appreciate the journey. There's something about a journey that's 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 powerful. Several several years ago, there there was a story going around about a, a rare seashell, and this is a popular story. You've heard it before. This is not original with me. This is a story that you've probably heard and a lot of people heard, but it illustrates a perfect point. And that point is that there was a there was a father that wanted to find a gift for his son. And the the gift that he wanted to give was a rare seashell, where this seashell is is found in uh, around uh, in, a, in dangerous places. It's a, it's a dangerous journey to get to this seashell. Like it's, it's, it's mountains, it's hills, it's valleys. It's, 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 it's off, it's off the radar. It's tough to get to, to get these red, 
these rare she seals. Well, the father decides to go on a journey to get this rare seashell for his son. He gets the rare seashell. After the, the tough journey, difficult journey, he comes back and he brings and gives the shell to his son. And the son laughs and says, says what's this, dad? What are you giving me? This is a seashell. He said, the gift that I'm giving you is not the seashell. The gift that I'm giving you is the walk that it took to get that seashell. Hmm. He said, it's, it's not about the gift. It's about the walk. And you can't appreciate the gift until you understand my walk. And what it took me to get this to you, that's the gift that I'm giving you. It's about the journey. It's about the long walk. And, and that has been preached on, that has been taught on. This is not original with me, but it is a profound thought that illustrates that the process is the gift. The, the, the process is the gift. You really don't appreciate the gift until you understand the process that it took for that gift to be effective. To the, for that gift to be given to another. There is a walk that comes with the gift. And the process of Jacob and God being the God of that process, what I love about God is that he doesn't wait to be our God when we succeed at something, that he's our God right there in the failure. Someone listening needs to just embrace God while they're struggling, while they're on a journey. Because can I tell you something that probably you haven't heard before, here it is, you are growing in your struggle. You're not the same person you were a year ago. You're not the same person you were two years ago. You have grown in that struggle. I know it feels like you haven't accomplished anything, but I'm telling you, you have grown and he is the God of your struggle. He is the God of your process. He is the God of Jacob. You've grown. And this this concept of growth is is so prevalent because with process, one of the greatest words that symbolize the process is the wilderness. The wilderness is really the symbol of process. Before Israel could get to the promised land, they had to go through the wilderness. Before John could be successful, he had to be in the wilderness. Before Jesus could start his ministry, he had to go through the wilderness for, for 40 days. There's something about the process that develops a believer. Something about walking through, through the process that makes you appreciate the gift and makes others appreciate the gift more. John was in the wilderness to the day of his showing and he is literally living in the wilderness. And the Bible says that he was eating locusts and wild honey. Well, why would the Bible say wild honey? It's because John wanted honey that wasn't domesticated. He wanted honey that hadn't been touched by man. He wanted honey that hadn't been tainted by human hands. He wanted honey that only came from God. Because he knew if God gives it to me, only God can take it away from me. He's living on wild honey. He's grabbing locusts out of the air, something that hadn't been tainted or touched by humans' hands. But he, he has learned to be dependent upon God in his process. And, and, and once you understand his process, you appreciate his voice. You see, because his voice was cultivated in the process. You find your voice in your process because there's something that God does that he loves being the God of the process. And you can't appreciate the effectiveness of John's ministry until you understand that he was the God of his wilderness. He is in that process finding and developing 
his voice and crying out. As in the process, you learn how to cry. He is still the God of Jacob. He is the God of your process. And so don't be ashamed to come to God in prayer. Don't be ashamed to approach God in in reading. Don't be ashamed to approach God and come to him because you're not Israel yet. He is just as proud of being the God of Jacob as he is the God of Israel. He's not only the God of your ideal state, he's the God of your process. That's important to grasp. That's important to understand. But people don't like process. People try to escape process. The Bible says that that the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. The Bible says that he leaves the 99 in the wilderness to go after the one that got lost. Well, how did the one get lost? I believe it's in Matthew 14. It says that he leaves the 99 and he goeth into the mountains to find the one that got lost. See, the one got lost when he tried to escape the process. The 99 in the wilderness, but somewhere that sheep gets discontent with the process, discontent being in the wilderness. It says, I want to find a quick route, a quick mountain top of success. And it got lost in its pursuit of success. It got lost in its pursuit of greener pastures. Because there's something about being in the process. If the shepherd is in the process If the shepherd's in the wilderness, that's where I want to be. And I'd rather be in the wilderness with the shepherd than on a mountaintop without the shepherd. That's what Moses said. He said, I'd rather be in a wilderness with your presence than in the promised land without it. But the sheep got lost when it tried to escape the wilderness, when it tried to escape the process. When you try to escape the process, you, you you are prone to losing your direction, to becoming aimless. Don't run from the process. Stay with the shepherd. That's where you and the sheep and the shepherd bond. Oh, I'm going to talk right now. See, that's where the shepherd learns. That's where the sheep learns to trust the shepherd because it begins to cleave to the shepherd. It begins to become more dependent on the shepherd's direction when it's in the wilderness and you trust the shepherd that sooner or later, he's going to find some water for me somewhere. There's something about the process that is, that is is just, that, that, that is just profound. Jesus went into the process. People think the process is a sign of the devil, but the Bible says that when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that when he came up out of the water, the first thing the Spirit did is that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. When he comes out of the water, the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Next verse. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Sometimes the Spirit will drive you into a rough place when he's pleased with you. Sometimes the spirit will drive you into a wilderness of isolation and loneliness, not because of the wrong that you've done, but because of the right that you've done. Not because of how bad you are, but because of how good you are. Not because you're a failure, but it's because he sees potential in you. And anyone that he sees with potential, the first places that he drops them off is in the wilderness, in the process. He is the God of the process. And when he went into the wilderness, he came out in the power of the spirit. You're going to come out of this in the power of the spirit. You're going to come out of your pain in the power of the spirit. You're going to come out of this, this walk, this excruciating walk where it's been tough. It's been like pulling nails. It's been difficult. You're going to come out of it with fresh hope, with fresh joy, with fresh vision, with fresh anointing. Do not be afraid or intimidated by the process. He is the God of the process, and everyone has to go through it. It's a part of the journey, but people feel like they can't do anything for God unless they're perfect. But the Bible says that he commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that Jesus looked at all of us in our worst state and said, that's worth dying for. 
So look at where you are today. You're listening to a podcast. You're listening to a podcast about Jesus. And you think that God's going to hit you upside the head and condemn you right now? There's, there's 8 billion people in the world. There might be 2.5 billion of them that may be Christians. Who knows the estimates? But here you are. About 6 billion people in the world that do not believe in, in Jesus, that do not believe in the word of God. And here you are listening to the word of God, feeling condemned because you're in a process. Feeling like a failure, feeling like God's going to hurt you or condemn you. But what did Romans 8, 1 said That there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is not found in Jesus Christ. If you're feeling condemnation while you're alive, it came straight from the pit of hell. He doesn't condemn. He convicts. He convicts and says, come up higher. Come on, you could do better. Come on, don't, don't go that route. There's more for you. But to be condemned, it doesn't come from Jesus Christ. And, and God is rejoicing over you. He rejoices. All of heaven rejoices over one sinner that, that repents. Your soul is so valuable, heaven rejoices over you. When you repent and when you get back up in your process, heaven rejoices over you. And, and you, you got to understand, your soul is so valuable that what did Micah say in Micah 7 and 8? He said, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for when I fall, I shall, I, I shall arise. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. What did he say? Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. See, hell rejoices when you fall. Heaven rejoices when you arise. Hell rejoices when you fall. Heaven rejoices over when you repent. This is powerful. You see, there's a battle for your soul. There's a symphony in heaven. There, there, is, a, there is a battle of the bands in heaven and in earth. When you do bad, they, the hell rejoices. When you do good, heaven rejoices. And they're all contending for your soul. See, hell wants to make you get discouraged and give up in the process. But hell doesn't have the final say. Heaven is rejoicing in your process because it's getting you ready because you're about to become Israel. But you've got to learn to receive God's love right there in your failures and in your frailties before you ever understand his love and your success. God's not waiting until you get perfect or do things perfect to embrace you. He is the God of your struggle. That he, just, just as you watch Jacob mature in his walk with God, he didn't start being his God when he became Israel. It started while he was in the womb, struggling. And he's just as much as God while he's in the womb struggling as he is when he's wrestling with an angel, struggling. He's still the God of Jacob. Now, there are some beautiful things about the process that are incredible um, because when you look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says um, in Hebrews chapter 12 that there's an admonition to these Hebrews that are going through it. They're going through it. Why? They're going through persecution, not only going through persecution, but to believe in Jesus is to lose your inheritance during this time. They lost their occupation. They were losing everything to believe in Jesus. So they're poor. And they've just been in persecution after persecution. But look what the writer tells them in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, you have to hear this because this, 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 is, this, is, this is an incredible concept about the process. Because the writer says here, many believe, some believe Paul, some believe Apollos, some believe Priscilla and Aquila. But whoever the writer is that God inspires to write Hebrews, he says that every believer is to lay aside every weight. And look what he says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, the writer is comparing a your walk with God to a Roman race. Now, you have to understand something. That a Roman race, how they would train for the Olympics is these runners that they would grab three-pound weights and they would grab three-pound weights in each hand. And in their training months before the Olympics, they would run with these three-pound weights in each hand. They would run with everything in them preparing for that Roman race, preparing for the Olympics. So they'd have those three pound weights and they would run with it with everything in them. But when the race started, you had to lay aside the weights because if you were to run with those weights, you would be disqualified. The runner had to lay aside the weights to begin the race. What the writer is saying here is lay aside the weights of preparation. Some people try to prepare so much till they're, till they're perfect that they never get in the race. That I have to train, I have to train before I do this, before I do that, before I do that, I got to do it perfect. But perfection is the enemy of obedience. And people try to wait till they're Israel before they do something for God. They try to wait till they're Israel before they start that business. They try to wait till they're Israel before they start that ministry. They try to wait till they're Israel before they plant that church. They try to wait till they're Israel before they do anything for God. And perfectionism is the enemy of obedience. And they delay so long that delay ultimately becomes denial. And so people are carrying around these three weights that they've been, these three pound weights that they've been carrying for years, and it doesn't even weigh them down anymore. They have mastered this weight. They throw it up. They throw it up every day. It doesn't even weigh it down. It's easy now. But they keep on training with this weight, believing that they have to be perfect to run the race. He says, throw down the weights of preparation. And get in the race. Lay the weights aside. Get in the race. You, you're not going to be perfect living for God. There's some people that say, well, I don't want to be baptized because I'm not perfect. God's not asking you to be perfect as a requirement before you get baptized in his name. He's not waiting on you to be perfect before he gives you his spirit. He's going to help you on the journey. I'm asking everyone listening, allow God to help you on this journey. He said, throw down the weights. Every runner that they were training with those three-pound weights, they had to lay them aside and get in the race. This is why he says, let us run with patience. Meaning there's going to be some failures. There's going to be some stumbling blocks. There's going to be some fears. You're not going to be perfect, but run with patience. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Throw down the weights of preparation. You should not be in a state of trying to be perfect before you get into the race. Aristotle, he, he, when, he, when he saw runners still training with these weights, 
over and over and over and over and over again where where they were ready, but they were overtraining. Aristotle called overtraining an evil thing. To, to overtrain makes you more prone to injury. Oh my, I'm going to minister to somebody listening right now. To overtrain leads to injury. Every athlete knows this. If you overexert in your preparation, when the time finally comes, you done broke down your body. That's why they recommend children not to lift weights until 13 years old. Because if you lift and train too much, too early, you stunt your growth. There are kids that started lifting weights at seven and now they don't grow over 4'11", 4'10". Because why? They trained too much too early. And there's something about the walk of growth that it's a part of life to grow in the walk. That's all we know about Jesus for 30 years. All we know about Jesus is that he grew. 30 years, that's all we know about him, that he grew in wisdom and with favor with God and man. He grew. See, see, what he did in 30 years of walking gave strength to what he did in three and a half years of ministry. He learned how to walk in obscurity. My word, I'm ministering to somebody right now. That's where you, you get your strength. 30 years of walking and growing prepared him for three and a half years of ministry. All it took him was three and a half years to change the world because he had 30 years of walking and process and growth. 30 years of development to produce three and a half years of a life-changing ministry. Hmm. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. John was in the wilderness for 30 years. Some estimate his ministry lasted six months. Six months, he, he changed the whole religious world. Why? He learned to walk in the wilderness. He learned to embrace God in his process. God is doing something in your process, and you have to yield to it. Stop waiting till you're Israel before you get in the race. Get in the race. The race is going to teach you what no book can teach you. It's like studying for a test. You can study for a test all you want. You won't, you won't, won't grow from the test until you're actually taking it. There's something about getting in it that will teach you. Somebody just needs to step out. Someone needs to step out into their calling, step out into their ministry. Someone needs to step out and take, take that risk. Because I'm telling you, he's the God of the journey. He's the God of the process. This revelation is so important because it gives you the strength to take a risk for God. When we started our church, we started our church with two mics and a guitar in a community center. But we had an understanding that he's the God of the process. He's the God of the, the acorn just as much as he's the God of the oak tree. He's the God of the seed just as much as he's the God of the plant. I'm asking you, allow Jesus Christ to be your God in your process. I, I battle with this. I, I, I struggle with this because when you're raised with my type of upbringing and how I, I was raised in, and you guys have heard me talk about the abuse and the fear. And I mean, I, I remember I, I would have to be upstairs and, you know, uh, I'd be locked in my room. They would lock me in the room and made sure that they said, if you don't, you got to make sure you put these clothes on this hanger properly. All the lines have to touch on the pants. It was a military drill that they put me through. Uh, you got to put it, the, the lines have to touch perfectly. If, if they don't touch, I'm going to come up here and I'm, I'm going to beat the mess out of you. I'm going to beat you up. 
So for hours, I'd be locked in my room for hours trying to make sure it was perfect because I didn't want to get a beating. And then finally, when I was done, I would come out and say, Daddy, Daddy, uh, I'm ready. And I said, boy, if, if, if I find one line out of place, I'm, I'm going to beat you. So I'd just be waiting. He'd go and inspect the closet. And when he would inspect the closet, he'd find one thing wrong. And he would throw all the clothes down, come and beat me and say, start over. Start over. And what that did is it created a fear of failure. It created a fear of failure that whenever I started traveling, I was, I was nervous and scared to step out and like have fun. I was scared to sightsee because God gave me instructions to go and preach somewhere and I felt like if I had fun or, or went go sightsee, that somehow God would strike me down because I didn't do his will perfect. I was so scared. I remember being an hour from Mount Denali and they asked like, hey, do you want to come? Do you want to come and uh, uh, see this, this historic site? I said, no, I'm good. I'm going to stay in my room. I'm just going to stay in and pray because I feared my heavenly father would like kill me on the way to go have fun on and that sightseeing. I felt like he would kill me because I did because I didn't follow his will perfect. That may sound crazy to you, but I'm ministering to people listening right now that have been battling with that fear of failure and that fear that if you if you mess up one time that God's gonna lift his anointing off of you, that he's gonna destroy you, he's gonna destroy your family and and it's because you were raised in a toxic environment. It's because you were raised in a dysfunctional household. That is not your God. Your God loves you unconditionally. And so I would be so, try to be so perfect. And, and until he finally showed me his love, until he finally revealed to me that he saw me how messed up I was in, in my upbringing and that, that he's my God right there. And I finally, with everything in me, I finally embraced him as the God of Jacob, the God of the process. And it transformed and revolutionized my life. Now I love going to see sites. I love going to Europe and seeing sites, and I love it. And it's not disobedient to God to have fun or to smile or to enjoy my life. But I had to throw down the weights of perfection. I had to throw down the weights of the, the constant preparation. I got to get it perfect because if I don't get it perfect, God's going to get me. God's going to get me and God's going God's gonna to hurt me. And no, no, that's, that's, that was my past speaking. But I learned to embrace him as the God of Jacob. Jacob's struggle is that he, that he had to learn to allow God into, into his imperfections. And that God was just as happy being in those imperfections as whenever he would accomplish great things. He is the God of your process. This is a difficult thing to, to understand because he's with you on this journey. You, you, you're not alone on this journey. God had to reveal to Moses that he was the God of Jacob because if he said, I'm the God of Israel, Moses would have shied away from the task. He would have ran away. No, that's too perfect. And I'm looking at myself stuttering and I'm looking at myself with, I murdered somebody. No, I'm running away from this. But but there was something about when he said Jacob that, that Moses said, man, if God can do it in Jacob, he could do it in me. If God can use a tax collector like Matthew, who had a, a life of ripping people off and cheating them, and God called him into discipleship, God's got a plan for you. Allow him to be the God of Jacob. Allow him to be the God of your process, the God of your wilderness. See, when you're in wilderness, God hasn't abandoned you. You see, you think when you're in your process, you're alone. You're not alone. Keep walking. Keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. Many of you have been listening to my message on, 
unexpected beginnings. And I talked about the darkness. There's one thing that I didn't mention in that episode that I'm going to mention right now about the darkness is that the Jews define night as they define night, they define darkness, night as the transition point to a new day. And so they define night as the transition point to a new day. That means that when you're in darkness, it just means you're in transition. You are transitioning into something, but God is with you in that process. God is with you in that darkness. And I talk about how, how imagine with me for the next 10 years, if from this day, today is March 29th, imagine for the next 10 years, Imagine the next 10 years that you don't see night again for the next 10 years. Imagine that with me. Imagine not seeing night for the next 10 years. If you do not see darkness for the next 10 years, you would still be in March 29th, 2023. Why? Because darkness didn't come. Night didn't come, and it is night that transitions me to a new day. It is night that transitions me to a new season. So what happens is that you have to understand that God is in that process transitioning you. And the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. So I can't get to new mercy unless I get through the night. If I never see night... If I never have process, if I never have a pain, if I never have a struggle, then I stagnate in mercy. But when night comes, it transitions me to a new day, a new opportunity, and new mercy. He's the God. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of the, the evening and the morning. We're the first day. And he said it was good. Don't, don't, don't think God has abandoned you when you're in the evening time. He is still the God of Jacob. Jacob went through so much in his life. He went through so much heartache and pain. He, he lost so much. He, you, do you understand how he felt when he lost Joseph? And Joseph was gone from him for many years. But there was something about it all that he learned to allow God into his loss. And even though he was weak, the Bible says when he finally saw Joseph's sons, he's mentioned in Hebrews 11 for this. When he finally saw Joseph's sons, the Bible says that by faith, Jacob worshiped, leaning on a staff while he blessed the sons of Joseph. My goodness. If it's in Hebrews eleven twenty one, by faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. My word. My word. He ends his life in struggle. While he has no strength in his body, he's leaning on the staff. And he worships and blesses the next generation because he understood that he's the God of Jacob. Mm. He's the God of the process. I'm asking for you to embrace God and allow him to be the God of your process. You're in the process. You're, you're despise not the day of small beginnings. Embrace him on that journey. Walking with God, you're not going to be perfect. The Bible says a just man falls seven times and rises again. What makes him just is he keeps getting back up. I challenge you today, get back up. You may have been backslid for five years. Get back up. You may have been backslid for 20 years. Get back up. You are not defined by any failure. You're not defined by what happened to you. You're not defined by what you've been through. Get back up. 
because he's the God of Jacob. Right where you are in your failure, you may have messed up before everybody. Everyone knows that you messed up. But God's looking at you and saying, I'm your God right now. And allow me into that mess and watch what I do. Stay on the journey. Keep walking. We're in a new place in um, Colonial High School this, this Sunday, Bible Center of Orlando. Our English service and our Spanish service is going to be at Colonial High School in Orlando, Florida, 6100 Oleander Drive. Join us for service this Sunday. If you're in the Orlando area, come and join us. It's a, it's a big space. We would love to see you. But you know what it's the fruit of? It's the fruit of a process. And the God that's that's going to be visiting us in this new location this Sunday at Colonial High School, he's the same God of when we had two mics and a guitar in a community center room. I'm so thankful that he's the God of Israel, but I am grateful that he will always be the God of Jacob. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you could come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.